0: It's a good day to be in church. I want you to open your Bible with me, please, this morning. If you'll find the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, and while you're looking for that, I'd like to ask them to put a couple of scriptures on the screen for us, beginning with John chapter 10. At a verse, let's look at a verse we're all very, very familiar with. But I want to look at it in a couple of translations. Begin here with the New King James. John chapter 10. You're looking for Isaiah 1. Let's look at John chapter 10 on the screen. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief, anybody know this one? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Just stop right there. Jesus is endeavoring to make this as plain for us as he possibly can. He is drawing a line in the sand and giving us and all men for all time the revelation of the difference between him and the thief. And he's saying, look, this is easy. If stealing was involved, I didn't do it. If killing was involved... I didn't do it. If destroying was involved, come on, what's Jesus saying? I didn't do that. And yet there are so many people still so confused and lay the blame at the feet of God when they see stealing, killing, and destroying and say things like, well, we just don't understand. We don't understand God and His sovereignty or His mysterious plan. But we know God is in control. Sounds so good, doesn't it? But it really bugs me. Can I just be honest with you, person? It really bugs me. When God gets blamed for stealing, killing, and destroying. And when I hear people say things like this, I just want to ask them, have you ever even heard of the devil? Did you even know there was one? Because if God's the one doing the stealing, the killing, and destroying, what beach is the devil chilling on? come on, help me out, church. I mean, this is Jesus trying to make it so clear for us. He said, look, if it was stealing, if it was killing, if it was destroying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Let's not be confused about this. Let this be simple. Let this be clear. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus, in contrast to that, I've come that they may have life. If it's got life in it, Jesus did that. I came that they have life, but not just have life, have it that they may have it more abundantly. I want you to read it first of all from the Amplified Classic. Then we'll look at the Passion Translation. The Amplified Classic says it like this. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have, have and enjoy life, have it in abundance, listen to this, to the full till it overflows. Till it overflows. Listen to it from the Passion Translation. Do we have that? We can put that up? Yeah. The thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you, until you overflow overflow now we have called this month october overflow Overflow. and that's something the lord gave us a year ago at this time and i went back and looked at some of the things he spoke to us then and if you were to go back and look at it and i recommend you do there were some really good things the lord gave us but he was driving home to us all through that month establishing for us it is my will that you increase. It is my will that you increase, that you increase. I am the God of increase, which means he's not the God of drawing back. It means he's not the God of just staying in one place. He's the God of increase, but not just increase, not just increase you so that you have a little more than you had before, not just increase you to halfway, not even just increase you till you're full, but increase you until you begin to overflow. And Jesus is the living embodiment of the will of God. And he said, I came, here's the reason, here's the purpose, here's my job description that you'd have life. Now that's a big word, isn't it? What part of life does the word life not cover? It all, it covers the whole thing. It covers every facet, every arena, every area of your life. And his plan was that you and I increase in every area of our lives, first in our spirit, then in our soul, finally in our body. And that would include natural, physical, material things. Get it in that order. And why is the order important? Because when you begin to fill up spiritually to the point where you overflow, well, what's it overflowing into? Into the soul it overflows, life overflows out of your spirit into your soul. And you quit living on that solar coaster that everybody else in this world is living on. You have some stability about you. You are established. You are constant and consistent. And while the world all around you is up and down, while everybody else is trying to find footing on shifting sand, you're on a rock, bless God. And your soul is constant. Your soul is consistent. And I got to say something. This is attractive to people. This is really attractive to people because when everybody else around you is losing their mind and you got peace, they want to know what's up with you. They want to know why you're not freaking out about politics. They want to know why you're not panicked about the economy. What do you know that I don't know, they say. And you can tell them, it's not what I know, it's who I know. And he puts you on a rock. Well, it doesn't start there. It starts in your spirit and you fill up. The word of God is like filling that cup time in prayer, time in praise, time in worship, time in church (laughs) is like filling that up so full that it begins to overflow into the soul. Well, the soul is supposed to get so full that it overflows, where? Into this body, into this natural material world. And it has to happen in that order. But what happens when you and I begin to fill up In this body, that means that every need the body has is met. Every healing need the body has is met. Every financial need the body has is met. Every every relational thing, everything that this outward person touches is met. Well, now where does it go? Because it's still supposed to overflow. Now where does it go? People around you. You overflow into them. You overflow into their lives. You overflow into their hurting you overflow into their sickness. Well, I got, I got more than enough healing for me. Let me give you some of what I got. Overflow. And this is what the people around you are in desperate need of. They don't need you full and overflowing with more of you. They need you full of Jesus, overflowing with Jesus. Amen. That's what they're in need of. This is where your ministry begins. I'm not talking about a platform ministry. I'm not talking about a five-fold ministry. But I am talking about that assignment Jesus gave us to go into all the world and preach. I might say it to you like this this morning. Go into over the world and overflow on them. Go into all the world and give them some of what you've been given. Because it wasn't given to you just for you. The scriptures talk to us about uh, you and I always having all sufficiency in all things. Now, if it stopped right there, that'd be good and that'd be something we could get excited about. You always having all sufficiency in all things. That's you not lacking. That's you not coming short in anything. But that's not where it stopped. He said you always having all sufficiency in all things that you might have to give. That's overflow. All sufficiency is being filled up. Giving is overflowing. So all this month, this is what we're focused on. And this time last year, we were focused on this establishing, getting it like concrete, like firm foundation beneath our feet. It is God's will that I increase. And that is something you've got to get on the inside of you to the place where you can't be talked out of it because there are religious traditions that are working overtime trying to talk us out of that. There are people's experiences or lack thereof that are trying to talk you out of God's will for you to increase. And they say things like we just don't know. Sometimes it is his will. Sometimes it's not, which is why you've got to go back to the word, go back to that foundation, right? And identify, okay. Was there stealing involved? If there was, Jesus didn't do it. But if there's life and life more abundantly involved, that's Jesus. And it really is that simple. It really is that simple. You gotta you you gotta spend a lot of time in church to get confused about it. But it really is that simple. Jesus, good Jesus, devil bad devil. I think our four year olds could preach this message. It really is that simple. So we are once again this year going to take this time to dig into the word and find out more about overflow. Once you establish that it is the will of God, here's where people take a misstep moving forward. People automatically assume if something's God's will, I'm going to have it. If it's his will, then, then I'll have it. And so because of that line of thinking, they think, well, if I don't have it, then it must mean it wasn't his will. But that is not how you and I determine what is and what isn't the will of God. I mean, just take salvation, for example. Is it God's will that all be saved? But let me ask you this, are all being saved? No. Why? Well, it's God's will for some and not for others. No, no, the word is very clear. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to the knowledge of the truth. And yet people every day are perishing, not knowing him. Why? Because they've got something to do with it. Because their faith or their lack of faith has something to do with it. So just because you establish that it's God's will for something in your life doesn't automatically mean you're going to experience it. The next step is put some faith in it. Faith begins where the will of God is known. You have to know it's his will for you to have faith in or faith for it, right? So we've established, yes, it is his will. Yes, it is his intent that we increase. Okay, but now what? And this is the way the Lord put it to me over the last week or so. He said, my people are not quick enough to connect the dots. Connect the dots. Think back, if you will, to your early days. And I mean early days. I'm talking preschool days. And maybe some of you I know did. I know I did. Maybe some of you did too. The the preschool teacher, the kindergarten teacher would put that little coloring page in front of you. And it just had dots all over it. And one dot had the number one by it and another dot had the number two by it. And, and your assignment was to do what? Connect, dots. Connect those dots. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been more simple than that, right? Connect the dots. Draw a line. get your red crayon and draw, start at number one and draw a line to number two. Yeah, but then what? Go to number three, baby. I mean, this is, we're gonna do this till you get all the way around. And the intent behind that was to create or complete a picture, right? And you couldn't see what the picture was until you connected the dots. It's such a simple concept, and yet there are so many, so many of us, and I mean like fully grown, I mean like way out of preschool, <laughs> that simply can't connect some dots. And one of the things that Sarah and I and our staff we pray over you on a nearly a daily basis. We pray over this, uh, we pray this over our partners, people in places all over the world. We pray this, Lord. I'm asking you, help them connect the dots. I pray this specifically over our partners, and I have for years. Lord, I'm asking you to cause them to see that their seeds into the ministry are opening up a door of access for you in their lives to go to work in their families, their finances, their businesses, their ministries. What am I asking him to do? I'm asking him to help them connect some dots because people aren't always quick to connect the dots. They don't understand that one thing is affected by the other. And we're praying this over you. We pray this over this church all the time. Lord, I'm asking you to help them connect the dots. Help them see that the word and the anointing on the word that they're receiving on a weekly basis is working in their lives. Help them to see it's bringing answers. It's turning the light on. It's giving them direction. Lord, help us to see and connect the dots between what I heard you say and putting it into practice and you being able to do this in my life. Connect some dots and you would think, well, that's so simple. yes unless you've got a thief that's working overtime doing this in your face all the time, trying to keep you from connecting some dots. And I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. I grew up in church. I watched him do this in church. I've I've seen it happen in this church. I've seen it happen in churches across the U.S. and places around the world where the Lord brings somebody into a place assigns them to that family, to that word. I'm putting you here. I want you to hear this. I've got something for you here. And I've seen people come into a place and there's a darkness on them. There's a heaviness about them, a depression that sits on them. But they keep coming and they hear the word. And the Holy Spirit begins to go to work on the inside of them, moving, shifting, changing, renewing their mind, changing the way they think. And I have watched it happen in a miraculously short amount of time where somebody who came through the door dark and depressed, just a few days or weeks later, there's a brightness. There's a light about them. There's a joy about them that they didn't have. And I've seen them come. I've heard folks say it to me. I've heard folks say it to my parents, the church I grew up in. And they'll say, oh, this word that I'm hearing, God is doing so much in my life right now. I'm so thankful he's doing this in my life. What's happening? They're beginning to connect some dots. But the thief doesn't want you making it to dot number two. And so he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And I've watched people unhook i 've watched people uh, disconnect from a word that was bringing them life and and most often, can I be honest with you it 's over the silliest stuff. This is the enemy he he 's so petty, and it 's over the silliest stuff, and so they unhook from something they disconnect either they quit serving or they quit coming or or they they unhooked from that flow of life that was coming to them. And they failed to see, wait a second. The word I was hearing was working. It was doing something in me. And they failed to connect the dots. They failed to see I'm better now, not because of another man, another woman, not even because of necessarily a place, but because of the anointing. Because of the Holy Spirit and the freshness of the revelation that's on the word that was working in me. We got to connect some dots, church. Yes. And there is a, there's a couple of dots that I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to connect in the time that we have through October overflow. Oh, yeah. And this is not gonna be hard. I don't think it's gonna be challenging, but they are two dots that just in my experience are not quickly connected for people. And I want to show that to you today. Um, look with me. Did you find Isaiah chapter one? Yes. Good. That was 19 minutes ago. You should have found it by now. <laughs> Isaiah chapter one. This is a very familiar verse to you. Verse 19. Isaiah 1:19. Notice what he says. If, that word ought to catch your attention. If you are willing and obedient you shall eat the good of the land let's do it again if you are willing and what obedient you shall eat the good of the land could we could we glean from this verse that it's the will of god for us to eat the good of the land I got a couple other translations for you. Listen from the basic Bible English translation. He said, if you'll give ear to my word and do it, the good things, somebody say the good things. The good things of the land will be yours. The easy to read version says, if you listen to what I say, you will get the good things. Say it again, the good things. The good things from this land. Is it God's intention? Is it his will that you and I, his kids, have the good things of the land? Yes. 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 See, I can tell there's a little bit of hesitation. It's all right. Be bold about it. Is it his plan that you have the good things? Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. The good things of the land. The good things, not the not the cheap, Nothing. not the broken, no. not the fallen apart, not the no good, not the worn out things of the land. The 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 good things of the land. The good things. And why shouldn't his kids have the good things? If we're going to represent him, let's be good representations of him. Now, the thing is, when somebody sees that you've got the good things, when somebody sees you're living in the good things, or you're, you're experiencing the good things, or you're wearing the good things, your, your life's got the good things in it, the thing is, you're going to have to be quick to show them where it came from. And not take any of the glory, not take any of the credit, but to say, oh, that's my good God. That's my father. He did that for us. He blessed us. The house we got up here in town when we moved here several years ago has a beautiful view of Pike's Peak. And we have people come to the house, somebody working on something, an um, appliance repair or, or something going on at the house. And, and without fail, over the last several years, somebody comes in and says, man, this view, this is amazing. And we always say, God's been good to us. God's been good to us. I'm not saying I sit them down and say, get out your Bible. I want to show you all the scriptures that we <laughs> stood on to. No, 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 no. We just, in a statement, give the glory to God. He's been so good to us. This is the blessing of the Lord. And usually, inevitably, they say, What brought you to town? Ha, oh, glad you asked. And we get to talk to him about the church. We get to talk to him about you. We get to talk to him about what the Lord's done for us. But we're living in the good things. We can have that. According to this verse, we can have an experience. Help me out, say it again the good things. But did you connect the dots? Did you, did you see dot number one? I know we're all shouting about dot number two, the good things, but dot number one, what was it? If you are willing and obedient. So I believe what we're going to do as the spirit of God leads us this month, we are going to connect those two dots, obedience and overflow, obedience and overflow. Isaiah 119 in the living Bible says it like this. If you'll only let me help you. If you'll only obey. Then he said, I'll make you rich. Let's connect these dots. Obedience and overflow. Now there's two things he mentions in this verse that lead to you and I eating the good of the land, experiencing the good of the land. What were they? Willingness? and obedience. Same with me. Willingness and obedience. Willingness and obedience. Now, if you are not experiencing the good of the land, I'm not asking for anybody to raise a hand or or give a testimony right now, but just in your own mind, in your own heart, take stock of, of what you're experiencing right now in life and be honest with yourself about it. They say, okay, is this the good of the land? Is this not the good of the land? Ask yourself. And if you're not, then this is the first place we need to look. Is there a problem with my willingness? Is there a hang-up in my obedience? Huh? But it's God's will. It's God's will that I increase. Where's the increase? It's God's will that I have the good of the land. Why, don't, why am I not eating the good of the land? Well, connect the dot. Come on, we got four-year-olds down the hall that can connect some dots. Can we connect some dots in here this morning? Connect the dot. Where do we need to look first? If we're not eating the good of the land, check the willingness. Check up on obedience. And this is a great window into why many people are not eating the good of the land. And yet they're saying, based on their own experience, well, I'm not eating the good of the land, so it must not be God's will. Uh, Wrong. Sorry. Survey says, nope, not right. We know from the word of God this is his will. But you have to connect back to what he said. How How do we come to that place? If, he said, if you be willing, start right there, willing. Do you know this is what God has been looking for since day one? Willingness. He gave you a free will so that you would use that will in return back to him, right? So that you would use that will. If he didn't give you that will, then he just created a bunch of robots and there's no love there. There's no fellowship, there's no relationship there. So he gave you that will and the only thing, this is what he's been looking for from day one is willingness. Because that's a heart thing. Willingness is a heart condition. And if you know anything about God, you know that he is all about the heart. He is always looking where? At the heart. Willingness. He's been looking for willingness. Go back through the Old Testament. At any time there was an opportunity to serve, any time there was an opportunity to sow, he would always say this about the offering: "Let anyone who's willing, let anybody who's willing bring their offering. Let anybody who's willing come and serve in the building of the house of the Lord. Let any man who's willing, who's willing, who's willing. In other words, you could say it like this: If you ain't willing, don't bother." If you're not willing to serve, don't serve. If you're not willing to sow, don't sow. Huh? Now that sounds strange to us. It's like, well, wouldn't you, if, wouldn't you rather have the money, preacher? No. No. If he don't want it, I don't want it. And you're better off with it in your pocket than coming and being like, fine, whatever. <laughs> Happy. Okay, Fine. Leave me alone. Yeah, but it wasn't willing. And if it's not willing, it's not anything. You could write a check with a bunch of zeros. And if there wasn't a willingness to do it, he didn't receive it. He didn't receive it. He's looking for willingness. What is willingness? It's a want to. It's a want to. And here's the great news about willingness. You ready for this? Even if you've spent the last 30 years of your life being a stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, rebellious person, you can get willing like right now. It doesn't take long. It does not take long to get willing. And even if you're not willing, be honest with them and say, Lord, I see it in your word. I see the command. I hear the voice of your spirit. I know what you're telling me to do, and I don't want to do it. I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to do it. So you find out from the scriptures that it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So even if you don't have any want to, you can come before God and say, I want to want to. I want to have some want to. I don't have it right now, but I want to have some want to. Fill me with some want to. And, and even if you don't have all the feelings of the want to, you know, you can say, I want to, by faith. I want to, I love to serve the Lord. I love to seek the kingdom of God. I love, I love, I want to serve you with my life. I want my life to be a living sacrifice to you. I want to. Somebody said, I want to, I want, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for some want to. I said, he's looking for some want to willingness. And this is the first step to eating the good of the land. And you might think, well, he's just looking for obedience. He said, do it. So I did it. I didn't want to do it. I don't ever want to do it again, but I did it. No, he's always about your heart. He's looking for the heart that produced the action. Amen. Amen. And this is what I've been seeing more clearly. We talk so much about, I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit here, but we talk so much about faith without works being dead. Well, what are those works? Those works are obedience, doing what he's told us to do, but not doing it uh, grudgingly, not doing it with regret, not doing it out of stubbornness, but doing it from a willing heart. Anybody interested in eating the good of the land? Starts right here with a willing heart. What else should he say? If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. People who are willing and obedient are few and far between in the world we live in today. Anybody notice this? There is, it's almost, it's in the air This spirit of disobedience. As a matter of fact, put that on the screen for us. Ephesians chapter two. It is literally in the air. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter chapter two, verse one, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to who? The prince of the power of the air. This is what's in the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's what's in the air. That is the description of this entire world. People living, walking the course of this world, walking according uh, to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, sons of, that means they're born out of it. That means it's the nature of the flesh. The unborn again flesh is at its core rebellious disobedient how do you know that look at a two-year-old we're talking a lot about kids today look at a toddler huh have you ever told a toddler do this don't do that what is their immediate response hmm right we were in the airport yesterday coming home and our flight got a little bit delayed So I'm just walking around the terminal. It's a small airport there, several families in the boarding area. And I noticed two families in particular with small children. One of the kids looked to be, I'd say about four. One of the kids may be a little older than that. He was a bit taller, but both their moms were having similar experiences as we waited and waited and waited for this airplane and they were trying to keep the kids busy. But I noticed anytime mom would try to steer the little one in this direction. It was like they automatically wanted to go in that direction. And when mom said, no, we're going over here. Both of these kids did this, just fell to the floor, just went limp and fell to the floor. And this was their response mechanism. I'm not going. I don't want to go. I don't want to do that and I'm watching these moms chase these kids all over this terminal. And this one mom finally had to scoop up her son and not, not carry him like you would a a child, but, but he, he's hanging in front of her like this. She's got him up under the arms and she's trying to get him and she, bless her heart, she kind of slings him into the car seat and gets him strapped in as quick as you can. That's the nature of the flesh. I don't want to. No. I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. No. Am I the only one who's ever met a two-year-old? Come on, help me out. I don't want to. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's a lot of people that have not put that away. Grown up. I mean, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, on up, who are still going, mm, I don't want to. No, no. I've met people, full-grown adults. And it was like, they would have done it unless you had asked them. And it was just by, just by the fact that you asked them to help that there's just that thing that rises up in them, right? And I, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. I don't want to do that. But that is so ungodly. That is so not the Spirit of God on the inside of us. It's the nature of the flesh. It is just the nature of the devil himself to rebel. And this verse in Isaiah goes on. Of course, we know 119, if you will be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But 120 says, but... If you refuse and rebel, man, that describes that four-year-old to me, to a T, refuse and rebel. If you refuse and rebel, you're gonna be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's actually a play on these words here. He's saying, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat, you will consume the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you'll be consumed. You're either going to consume or be consumed. Well, what's, it, what's it based on? Well, whatever God's will is for my life. No. No. It's based on whether or not you can be willing and obedient, or if you're going to let your inner four-year-old call the shots for the rest of your life and refuse and rebel and I'm not going and I don't want to, and I don't want to take a bath and I don't want to eat my vegetables and I don't want to go where God told me to go. I don't want to serve. I don't want to. I don't want to. Be consumed. But if you want to eat the good of the land, you gotta be willing and obedient. Not, not rebellious, not refuse and rebel, willing and obedient. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Rebellion is the nature of the flesh and we see it all around us. And this is the part of the flesh that has to be crucified like daily. Psalm 68, look at that with me. This is another verse we look at. We either look at it or quote it almost, I don't know, weekly basis around here. This is one of our go-to's. You got to have some go-to verses that work in just about every situation. This is one of our go-tos around here. Psalm 68 says in verse 6, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. You could say he brings out those who are bound, those who are tight, those who are restricted. He brings them out of that and into prosperity, into Overflow. That's what prosperity is. When it's overflowing out of you and into the lives of people around you. And he's, he brings out those who are bound. He says he sets the solitary. What is a solitary person? That's somebody who is disconnected. That is somebody who's not hooked up anywhere. That's somebody who's trying to live life like an Island, not, not connected to anyone or anything. And God is not okay with that. I mean, you go all the way back to the beginning and you know what he, he looked at Adam. He looked at this creation made in his image and the first thing he said, you know what it was? It ain't good that he's alone. It is not good that he's alone. So you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you can see God is not okay with you being alone. God's not okay with you being disconnected and solitary out there on your own. That's why he takes the solitary and he sets them in a family. He puts them in a family because when you're in a family, now you got life flowing to you. But not only do you have life flowing to you, now you got life flowing through you to the family around you. That's his his intent. That has always been his design. He takes the solitary and he says, you belong in this family. That's why I'm so thankful. We have got local churches. We got so many right here in our community. But we got them all over the world. The body of Christ is this growing global family, which says to me, there is a place, there is a family for everybody. For everybody. We know that not everybody's supposed to be in this church, but everybody's supposed to be in a church. You're supposed to be somewhere with a family somewhere, hooked up with people somewhere, letting that life flow to you and that life flow through you and you overflowing onto them and them overflowing onto you with good things, amen? Eating the good of the land. But you gotta, you're going to have to find where that family is. Let him set you in it because he's not okay with you being out there on your own. He takes the solitary, sets them in a family. What else does he say? Verse six: He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, into overflow. Your overflow, evidently, is somewhat dependent upon you being in the family God sets you in. Because you see this is the last part of this verse, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land, rebellious, disobedient, unwilling to obey. I don't want to be in that family. I don't like my family. You ever heard a four year old say that? You ever heard a 14 year old say that? That's the nature of the flesh. And honestly, it is the design of the enemy. He identifies, Satan will identify anything in your life that is a flow of life to you. And he will go to work on disconnecting you from that life. Is this not what's happening in marriages every day? Two people, many whom are brought together by God himself, and those two stand at an altar and they become one. And they become a a flow of life to each other. They become a strength to one another. They become a help to one another. They become foundation. and, And when one is low, the other is there to bring them up. And when the other is low, the other is there to bring them up. They become that strength for one another. The two become one. So what does the enemy do? Let me find something to make that one become two again and disconnect them. And people, they're falling for it every day. People are falling for it. Marriages are falling apart. Like I said, people who the Lord has brought into a church or set them in a family, the enemy identifies, okay, there's life flowing to you there. You used to be depressed. Now you've got joy. And Satan says, I like you better when you're depressed. So let me find something that I can get you to focus on, something that I can get you to magnify, some stupid little something so that you turn around and say, I don't like my family. I don't want to be in this family. Wish I had a different family. Is it happening? Oh yes. Oh, we dress it up, don't we? We know how to dress it up in grown-up talk. Well, I just feel that the Lord is He's leading me out. I thought he led you here. Yes, but he changed his mind. And people do it in their marriages, their relationships, their, their church family, their natural family, not realizing that they're cutting off their prosperity. Not realizing that they're shutting off the overflow. Because when there's no more life flowing to you, how can any life overflow out of you? The rebellious... Dwell in what kind of land? Dry. Dry. Dry land. This is a description of God's own people coming out of the land of Egypt. I mean, did he not make it so clear to them? You've been living in a land of not enough. You didn't even own the clothes on your back. You didn't even own your own body. You were a slave, but I heard you cry for help. And I've come to rescue you. I've come to pull you out of slavery and bondage. And man, when he came to deliver them, do you notice he didn't do it real quiet? He didn't sneak them out in the cover of night. He did it loud. He did it and said, I'm their God. They're my people. Let them go. And you talk about plagues and signs and wonders. We'll all go through the whole thing. But, you know, the end of the story, Pharaoh finally said, get out, go. And the Bible says the Egyptian people loaded the the children of Israel down with all their silver, all their gold. It says they went out with silver and gold and not one feeble one among them. That's how he brought them out. But the next thing, they, they get into the wilderness or they stand in there at the Red Sea and they start complaining. They start rebelling. You know what they said? We got to go back. We don't want this leader. You're a bad leader. You're a dodo head. (laughs) We don't like you, Moses. We want a different leader. Mm. We're going back. And the Lord tolerated He put up with it. He split the sea and they crossed over and they're in the wilderness but every time the Lord told them to do something, you know what they said? No. No. I don't want to do it. And they complained. We're hungry. We want, we want bread. I'm okay, going make it rain out of the sky. But he said, listen, you can go out every day and pick it up, but don't pick it up on that Sabbath day. Well, I want to pick it up on the Sabbath day. So they're I'm picking it up on a Sabbath day. So they went and picked it up and it rotted. I mean, every time he told them to do something, they did the opposite. If he had said, go left, they would have said, no, I'm going right. If he had said, jump, they said, I'm sitting down. It's that nature of the flesh, just to rebel, to resist. And they pushed him on this and they pressed him on this over and over and over again until he finally said, no more, this generation is going to die in this desert, this dry land. And if you read about it in the book of Hebrews, he said they, would not, they could not go in because of rebellion. Turn over there and look at that just as we wrap this up. Just got a couple of minutes left. Hebrews chapter 3. Look at this with me. Hebrews chapter three, look at verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. Does this not show you God's always looking at the heart? He said, don't harden your heart. They went astray in their heart. He said, they have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Brethren, he's talking to us now. Is Hebrews New Testament or Old Testament? This is New Testament stuff, which is funny to me. And I have to mention this because anytime you start talking about obedience, you will find there are people that say, don't put me under works. Have you ever heard this before? You're just putting me under works. You're just preaching works. And in the name of grace, we'll say obedience is an Old Testament law thing. You cannot read the Bible and say that honestly. Grace, man, this is another message. <laughs> grace is the power. To obey. It's power. Obedience, trying to obey in and of your own flesh, that's trying to live under the law where there was no power, no grace. Grace is the power, it's the enabling to do what He told you to do. Another message. But He said to Him, Beware, He's talking to us now, Beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil, whoa, evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Who was that? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Did they hear? What did they hear? They heard that God had a land for them. What kind of land? A land that, come on, help me out. Come on, church. A land that did what? Could you say it was a land that overflowed with milk and honey that's the provision of every good thing you need. That's a land, and he was calling them into it, and he said, in this land, you're going to eat the good of the land. They heard that message. That message got preached to them. They heard it, but they rebelled. Now, verse 17, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness in a dry land? To whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But those who did not obey. So one of the things you're going to notice here as you study it, he says about these people, they heard it and didn't believe it. They heard it and didn't obey it. Here's what you're going to discover. That the same word often translated obedience is often translated believe. The same word translated obey is translated believe. That tells me obedience is is a demonstration of faith. They heard, but they didn't believe. They heard, but they didn't obey. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest... This rest, it refers to a land flowing, overflowing with milk and honey where you eat the good of the land. That's what this rest is talking about. Let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter into the rest. As he said, so I swore my wrath, they'll not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in this place. They shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of, because of, because of disobedience. disobedience. Other translations say because of unbelief. So which is it? Did they they not go into the land? Did they not eat of the land, the good of the land, because of unbelief? Or did they not eat of the land because of disobedience? And the answer to that question is, yes. (laughs) Yes, it's the same thing. Disobedience and a lack of faith. Disobedience is a demonstration of a total lack of faith. They Never ate the good of the land. That entire generation didn't eat the good of the land, but it had nothing to do with God's will. The first thing he told them was, I want you in this land. I've got this land for you. And it flows and it overflows with milk and with honey. It got preached to them over and over. But instead of believing it and obeying him, they refused and rebelled. We don't want to go. He said, go up and take the land. They said, no. No, we don't like the other kids in that land. They're big kids. They're mean kids. And they have really tall walls. And I don't like climbing the wall. So no. And finally God said, okay. Don't eat the good of the land. Live and die in a dry land. Your prosperity depends on you being willing and obedient to go where he said go. Go when he said go. You see something in the Word as you're reading your chapter Monday through Friday and you think, wait a second, I hadn't been doing that. Lord, I want to. I'm willing to. I'm asking you to work in me to both will this and do this. If you hadn't been eating the good of the land, where do you need to look? Willingness and obedience. What's gonna gonna start happening, church? As you and I make this switch right now and we get willing. If we hadn't been, don't worry about it. You can get willing right now. And we make this decision by the grace of God. I'm gonna do what he's asked me to do. I will be obedient to the heavenly calling. If you keep reading in this book of Hebrews, the very next chapter, chapter 5, tells us about Jesus. It says, though he was a son, he had to learn obedience. Nothing was automatic even for him. He had to be willing. He had to obey. And you know what he said? There was a time in Jesus' life where he wasn't willing Shocking, right? But you know what he said? Not my will. Not my will. Yours be done. What's he saying? I'm willing now. My flesh doesn't want this. My body doesn't want this. My soul doesn't want this. But my spirit does. And whatever your will is, that's what I want. And if this is your will, let it be done. Come on. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.